0: Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking about hip issues in runners with Dr. Dwayne Scotty from the Healthy Runner podcast. So the big question is this, how are runners like us, who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. Hey, Dr. Christopher Segler here, and what we have for you today in this episode is something really special. This is actually a recorded session, one of the replays from the Runners Rapid Recovery Summit. Now, in this particular session, we're talking about hip injuries and hip issues in runners, and I don't treat hips, I treat foot and ankle injuries, but we had one of the guests during the Runners Rapid Recovery Summit who does deal in hips quite a bit. Not only does he help runners get better when they have hip issues, he had some himself and he's continuing to run. So we have Dr. Dwayne Scotty, who's gonna go into hips and talk about all the issues with hips tightness versus weakness, what is anterior hip pain, why do you get it, what can you do to avoid it, what kind of stretches aggravate aggravated, all that stuff. So it's all coming from the Runner's Rapid Recovery Summit. I know a lot of you were there, it was a two-day online event, but as a special treat in this episode, we're gonna give you access to that where uh, you can actually get both portions, both part one and part two, a couple of different ways. So we do have the Runner's uh, Rapid Recovery Summit replays available on the website where you can access that, but all you have to do to get Dwayne's uh, episode here, his session, is to uh, check out this half of it here on the Doc on the Run channel, and then you can go over to the Healthy Runner podcast and the Healthy Runner channel uh, to access uh, the other half of the session on Dwayne's site. So we split it into two parts for you, so you can get half of it here and half of it over there, but if you don't know about Dwayne Scott and you don't know about the Healthy Runner podcast, you should. So We'll go into the first half of the session here, so enjoy that. And then when you get done, make sure you head on over to the Healthy Runner podcast. You can check out the other half of the session from the Runner's Rapid Recovery Summit. So now we've got Dwayne Scotty here, and uh, he's somebody who I've listened to his podcast a lot. He has a great podcast. Uh, He's a physical therapist. He's an educator. He's a researcher. He's a running coach, and he's the creator of Spark Physical Therapy. Also, he's the host of the Healthy Runner podcast uh, and the Healthy Runner Facebook group where he connects with people there live as well. Now, with years of experience as a physical therapist as a runner and in combination with his strength and conditioning background, Dwayne's been working with runners to help them improve all kinds of different levels of human performance. And I think he's gonna really provide a lot of valuable information for all of us here today, specifically about hip pain in runners. Uh, and some sort of simple ways to look at it, because the hip's a complicated joint. There's a lot can go on. You can get all kinds of things ranging from uh, muscle issues, tendon issues, nerve issues, stress fracture issues, uh, arthritis within the joint itself, bursitis outside of the joint. You can have all of these things that are described as hip issues, but he's gonna kind of break it down into a, a couple of different ways to look at it. And then we're gonna talk most specifically about one kind of hip pain that he's had the most direct experience with himself. And I really do think it's always helpful, not just to hear from somebody who's an expert, but someone who is an expert on that topic, who has actually experienced that problem themselves. I know for me personally, you know, having had stress fractures makes it way easier for me to talk to runners and teach about stress fractures in runners because I went through it. I know how bad it sucks to have a doctor tell you, you just can't run for six weeks. You just can't do this. You shouldn't do that. And well, I kept running anyway. And I know Dwayne is still running. He uh, figured out how to deal with it, about how to work through it. And he's going to help us all figure that out today. So uh, Dwayne, with that, I would like to say, uh, you know, thanks for coming on today and thanks for being willing to take time out of your schedule to talk about all this stuff.
1: Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity and I look forward to sharing um, some of what I've learned uh, over the years, as you mentioned, uh, treating a lot of runners with hip pain. All right.
0: That's great. So listen, I know one of the things that you had, one of the issues you've had that you've even talked about and shared some of your story on your podcast um, is about labral tears and about hip pain caused by labral injuries in the hip. And before we get into the specifics of that, maybe what you could do is, uh, since we know it's complicated and there can be all these different things that get thrown into this sort of bucket of hip pain, maybe you could tell us like, what are really the three sort of most common things, if you could break it down by area maybe, um, but it, you know, whatever you think is going to be simplest to help us kind of sort out if somebody has hip pain, they don't really know what to do. They haven't really seen somebody yet. Uh, what, what are the most common things in certain areas of the hip that can help people sort of narrow it down a little bit?
1: Yeah. So in the hip, we really think about, I'll, I'll maybe start in different regions. So in the backside, cause who doesn't like the backside, right? In runners, we we like the glutes and the most common source of pain in the back of the hip or basically the bottom of your butt area. It's like the top of your hamstring. So proximal hamstring tendinopathy, it's an overuse of the hamstring tendon. It's usually a chronic condition in a lot of distance runners, especially with doing a lot of hill work. Um, so that's kind of probably the, the main source of pain back there. Um, and then if we move to the side of the hip, We're really looking at what we call lateral hip pain. And that could be a number of things. It could either be the IT band or a lot of recent studies have actually shown the gluteus medius tendon, so your side hip muscle as it connects to the bone. And rarely, even though it is kind of overly diagnosed, is that rare situation of like a trochanteric bursitis. Um, Classically, you may have been diagnosed with that. A lot of what the newer literature is showing is that it's actually a tendon problem, similar to other tendon problems that runners can get from overuse. Um, So actually looking at that gluteus medius tendon will cause pain on the side of your hip um, that you can get with running. Mm -hmm. But moving to the front of the hip, where we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about today is you could have a muscle problem. So yes, you could strain your hip flexor. Um, or you could have tight hip flexors, and you know this might occur especially after a hard speed work session. Or you might feel tightness in the front of your hips. Maybe you have a desk job, you're sitting a lot during the day, and then you're getting active and going for a run, and you just feel a lot of tightness in the front of your hips. Um, you might have tried foam rolling, stretching, maybe heat. You may have even seen a PT who did some dry needling, Graston technique to that area, and. If it's not responding to that, the most likely issue or the root cause is usually an underlying hip joint mobility issue or what we call impingement. And a lot of times I see that soft tissue can get guarded. You can get trigger points in those hip flexor muscles. So I I do see it sometimes an isolated muscle problem. But usually there's this underlying joint problem, which we'll really kind of talk about today. And that's kind of keys to getting down to the root cause of why you're having
0: hip pain to begin with. Okay. All right. So that's helpful. So basically pain in the back of the hip, if that starts out, like really simply put, the most common thing is insertional issues where the the muscle, tendon, whatever actually attaches uh, basically at the bottom of your butt right in the back uh, behind the hip joint and if you're doing lots of hill work and it gets aggravated by hill work then that's probably a clue that you might have that issue uh, but and you said it can often turn into a chronic problem where people suffer with it for a long time uh, if you have it on the outside of the hip it can be lots of different things including the gluteus medius muscle where it attaches there because it basically that's one of the things that really stabilize you like if you do a a single leg squat, it's what keeps your knee from drifting to the inside, right? Because it's basically holding that bone and pulling it to the outside. So, if somebody has that issue, what seems to aggravate it, would you say? Like, is there one thing that most commonly aggravates that? Is it like hill work or is it just long runs? Like, what's the thing that kind of sets it off?
1: It is. It's definitely the longer runs and it is usually for those that run on uneven road surfaces or a large camber in the road where you have basically one leg that is dropped down versus your other side and it creates this one pelvis that's higher than the other. So we call that like a functional leg length discrepancy that that creates. And then those folks also usually get pain with lying on that side. Mm -hmm. So at nighttime, um, it is most common in females, unfortunately for females, anatomy wise, um, they're blessed to be able to give birth and create life. um, But the pelvis anatomy is a little bit wider. So that does create an kind of increased angle as um, the femur bone goes down into the lower extremity and with running. So that is something that, you know, for those folks who definitely get pain with sleeping, I recommend putting pillows in between the knees to try to keep their knee in line with their hip. Mm -hmm. And it's also very common in a lot of new moms who do the uh, holding their child on their hips and they sway toward one direction. And that creates this, what we call adduction force to the hip and actually puts some stress
0: on the outside part of the hip. Okay, so that's helpful. So if you have lateral hip pain, then I mean, I know this could probably be a completely different long lesson that would be uh, really in depth and go into a lot of detail. But simply put, if you're doing things that are positional, uh, you know, the way that you sleep, the way that you hold a kid, the way that you stand, if you stand sort of cocked to one side, if you run on the road where it's sloped, you're running on sidewalks that are sloped, then uh, and you notice that those things seem to set it off more than say running on flat ground might be that issue. And then for anterior hip pain, um, you know, this can be, like you said, lots of different things. You have anterior hip pain that could be within the joint itself where you have what we call an impingement where something's blocking the motion. Uh, In the ankle, it can be lots of things. You can have synovial tissue that swells and blocks it. You can have a meniscoid body that develops and blocks it. You could have bone that kind of overgrows in the development of arthritis that kind of prevents it from moving. But when we say impingement, basically something's getting stuck or blocked in some way. And it can be lots of different things. So when you hear that, you immediately think, well, there's something that has to be removed and you have to have surgery to fix that. But that's just not always the case. In fact, probably not mostly the case, I would say. Um, But but it could be that. So you could be having this issue that's truly inside the joint where you have a problem with an impingement, a positional kind of thing, a limitation of motion uh, that could be addressed with some simple things you could do yourself. Uh, Or you could have some sort of muscular issues around there that are causing pain in the same area. Does that sound about right? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. All right. So let's hear about your story. When you had anterior hip pain, you know, you had to recover from hip pain, as I understand, because you had a labral tear. Um, which is one of the things that you can get. But what what did that look like? Like, let's hear your your story. You know, like what's the labrum? How does it get injured in runners? How did you tear it? If you could just go into that stuff a little bit, I think that'd be really helpful.
1: No, absolutely. Uh, The labrum is a piece of cartilage. So it, it actually surrounds, if you think about the hip joint, it's a ball and socket joint. So you have the cup part, which is the pelvis. And in that cup, you have the labrum that surrounds it. Almost like if you think about a golf tee, and that just deepens the hip joint socket and adds some stability. And unfortunately, uh, that sometimes can get torn, um, which, again, the labrum is, is kind of deepens the socket as well as adds some cushioning to help stabilize your hip itself. Um, you also have cartilage that surrounds the actual bone. So that ball in the socket, there's this um, articular cartilage, we call it. And you can also get little tears of those cartilage, it's kind of like a little pothole defect, if you think about it, where you can have these little tears of cartilage. And then sometimes those can even flake off just like in the ankle and float around within the joint. And we call those loose bodies. So those are the type of internal hip joint uh, dysfunctions that can occur. And those can be due to either underlying mobility issues, such as what we call femoral acetabular impingement, or FAI, And that's really basically a stiff hip, um, a hip that is getting impinged. There's maybe some extra bone growth on the actual part of the pelvis, so that cup. Or you could have just been born with a ball that is not spherically shaped. So it's basically shaped like an oval, more like an egg shape. And every time that ball moves in the socket, it gets impinged. And then one of the structures it can impinge is the labrum. And that's the most common cause for getting kind of labral tears is usually those folks who did a lot of what we call bending of the hip. So flexion of the hip, Maybe they did a lot of squatting. Maybe they're a runner who also is a CrossFitter. And they're, you know, flexing that hip a lot. And they're putting a lot of load through that hip. Maybe they have a sit-down job. So they're doing prolonged sitting, sitting in a low seat. And that's kind of the most common scenario. So now talking about my specific example and scenario, it is a little unique in that I did always notice um, that I've always had a stiff hip. So when I was going through PT school, you know, we evaluate each other. Um, You know, you got your roommate who's checking out your range of motion in your hip. And I always noticed I didn't have normal range of motion. Like I was just born that way. That's the way my hips were. And I didn't have normal range. So I knew I was always limited there. And then I was fine. I never really had hip pain until there was one specific incident. So I was getting... uh, a little crazy with some of my buddies in the backyard so we would do something we were in our early 30s um kind of new dads right we're trying to get active and we would do some backyard volleyball We'd do a little tournaments called it like friday night lights and you know i i remember a specific incident that i actually jumped up tried to do a spike and landed and that gave me a sharp shooting pain mm. and then ever since then that pain continued, and to make a long story short, after you know rehabbing it conservatively and getting some imaging done, it was found that I did have a cartilage tear, a loose body in there, but also I had a labral tear, mm. and now the labral tear was more of a degenerative tear, so mm. it probably was something that was has been there you know most okay. of my life, and I think this kind of is a good story to to a lesson to learn for those out there that maybe have been diagnosed with a labral tear and it may not necessarily need mean that you need surgery either so it kind of goes into the conservative aspects of treatment as well
0: yeah that's really helpful because you know a lot of us we hear well you have a problem That means you need to fix it. And many times we have this perception, I think, and, and I mean, I'm biased because I did a surgical training program. So we spend, you know, three years looking at people trying to decide what can we do to fix it? Like surgically, because it's a surgical training program. So we're trying to figure out how to fix people surgically every day. And we're, frankly, we're not that interested in trying to figure out how to fix people non-surgically because that wasn't as fun as going to the operating room. And there is definitely this, also I think this misconception that uh, surgery is always faster or better, uh, and that you just won't get better if you don't have surgery when you have some of these problems. Like in the ankle, sometimes that's true. If you have, uh, you know, a foreign body or a meniscoid, uh, you know, forms, you have this meniscoid body in there. You have, like you said, a loose body that's really kind of it's your own tissue, but it's become a foreign body and it's floating around in there. It's getting stuck. It's causing trouble. You know, you have to remove it. Um, but then we do have these circumstances where by strengthening, stretching, repositioning, you can better align the joint to work in a better way, and you don't have to have surgery, but if you don't do something, that, that malalignment, that misuse, that that abuse that's happening in the joint and to the tissue, it degenerates over time, so I think you said that yours was probably a degenerative thing, meaning that uh, you were kind of stressing the labrum, you're irritating the labrum probably by uh, malalignment positioning lack of range of motion whatever that was putting stress on it so it got more and more injured over time and then finally degenerated to the point of tearing it may not have actually been that one backyard incident um you know when you jumped up to spike the ball that actually caused the tear but that that could have um and it could have torn the cartilage then you could but you clearly you had a, a specific time of injury that something got significantly worse but if you had had uh you know addressed it in some way conservatively with trying to do strengthening or stretching or whatever, maybe you wouldn't have had that incident at all, which is what I hear when I hear your story. Do you think that's about right or, um, you know, or do you think I'm missing something there?
1: No, absolutely. I think that is is the important part. I think if I didn't have that incident, then I definitely wouldn't have needed surgery mm-hmm. um, is I think the underlying you know, and there's no real um, way to completely know. So on MRI, so just for those out there who are thinking um, labral tear, how how you do visualize the labrum is what they call an MRA, where they actually do the injection with the dye, and then they put you in the MRI machine. And that's when my labral tear was diagnosed. And they actually did not even see the chondral defect. So that's, again, that articular cartilage, where you get that pothole in it until I actually had the surgery, right? So they went in arthroscopically and was able to actually view that and then saw the loose body, remove that. And I do feel that that was the probably main contributor to my pain because it was very classic in that I would get a sharpshooter with any type of pivoting rotational movement where literally I, I would get buckling of okay. my hip. And, yep. and then that went away after, you know, after I rehab back from surgery
0: hmm. Okay, so this brings up a couple of important points that I think runners really need to understand. And one of them is about the value and lack of value in MRI. Because we think of an MRI being this really high tech fancy test where you get this picture perfect view of what's going on within all of the structures in that area. And I have this all the time. I'm, I spoke to somebody recently who uh, had an ankle injury, two months went by, she did basically nothing and said, I really think I need an MRI. It's been two months, I'm not better. And my thought honestly was, you know, I didn't reply to her this way, but what I thought was maybe you should do something and see if we can make it better before you waste time and money going to get an MRI to see if you can actually take action and get it to improve. And in some cases, when you have pain in the hip, it stands to reason that if you tried some specific strengthening and stretching things and it improves dramatically, you save yourself a lot of trouble. And that information is also extremely useful. Like if it helps, if it doesn't help, it's very, very useful to the doctor who's trying to figure out what's going on because then you go in and get an MRI and it confirms because, well, you check the dice, you do an MRA uh, and you go in and you get this, you know, magnetic resonance arthrogram, right, which is the MRA part. And so you get this imaging that includes diet, it's a little more complicated, but it gives you a little more specific inflammation and that actually dye di- you know, information that gives you your diagnosis of a true labral tear, but it completely missed the cartilage part. And so even though, you know, you had uh, nothing that shows up, you have you have evidence based on your story that you have this cartilage problem because you have this like sharp shooting pain with certain things when you pivot, when you twist, when you hit it a certain way and load it a certain way, And, you know, if you've done a bunch of stretching and strengthening things that should have addressed some of these impingement issues and your labral problem improves significantly, but then you still have this occasional positional, you know, activity related pain, then it implies a different problem altogether. And those things, first of all, can make you improve dramatically. If you hadn't had the cartilage problem, you caught it, you you know, you might've been able to to do really well even without surgery, Um, but you had to do both, right? So you had to take some action, try some stuff, and you ended up having to get an MRI, but an MRI is not necessarily the solution. I do know that MRI is one of the most useful tools to convince yourself and to help your doctor convince you that you need surgery. But And and sometimes you need it. So that's not, I mean, not to be flippant about it, you know, uh, sometimes you really do need surgery, and that's very helpful. Sometimes you can make a lot of improvement without expensive tests and without expensive surgery and without all the risk associated with those things. So, um, you know, when you think back to before that episode in the backyard, uh, you know, I think for runners who are concerned that they have this anterior hip pain, maybe they have a labral issue, if you could kind of help them in their situations right now, by thinking back to what it was like before you actually had that spiking incident, you know, where you had that sudden dramatic pain and you did a little more damage, like what, what clues did you have? What, what did you feel that indicated, or that might indicate to a runner who's listening right now that they might have a labral issue that could benefit from some of these simple, what we call conservative non-surgical treatments that they could do themselves or, or with a physical therapist, what would that be?
1: Yeah, the pain location is kind of this classic C sign where you just make a C with your hand and you put it right in the front of your hip. So you have that pain in the front of your hip, maybe in your groin area. You might even think you pulled a groin and it's usually more deeper pain. So it doesn't feel right at the surface. Mm -hmm. Um, Sitting was definitely painful. So I was driving a Toyota Corolla at the time. So I had a very low hoopty style car and I have long legs So, my knees were definitely above the level of my hips when I was sitting. And, you know, sitting in a a low surface definitely hurt, as well as getting up after a longer car ride. um, That would definitely be painful and stiff. It would just feel like it took me a couple of steps to kind of loosen up the hip. It was just very stiff. And then, as well as, you know, those that do have a labral tear, the kind of classic sign is this kind of painful clicking. So, many hips click many joints click, right? You probably had some clicking joints. You might've been concerned about it. Um, that's totally normal. So joints, it's normal for them to click, but the key is, does it increase pain? And usually with a labral tear and even a loose body or a cartilage, there's this sharp shooting pain you get. And it usually lasts for a couple of seconds. It's not something that lasts for a long period of time, but you get a click and you get this sharp pain that's associated with the click. And those are kind of those classic signs that we get with labral tears.
0: All right, those are a couple of really useful points there. So so one, if you drive a car, like a, a small car that has a low seat, like a Honda Civic, a Toyota Corolla, you know, small cars that have low seats where if you put your car in cruise control and you pull your feet up toward you, your knees are like a foot higher than your hips. If that's uncomfortable, that could be a labral tear. If you have this C sign where you just take this area on the front of your hip and the pain is in that area within that C, could be a labral tear. Uh, And, uh, and also the clicking thing. So clicking can be an indication of that problem, but clicking can be normal. So clearly, uh, you know, Dwayne sees lots of people with hips that have clicking that is not pathologic, it's not a problem. Uh, I myself have perineal tendons that have clicked my entire life, um, at least all I can remember. And 30 years ago, when I was working in a climbing uh, retail store, I remember one of this, the guys, Brent, that worked there used to joke that I could never join the FBI uh, because I could never sneak up on anybody, uh, but it's never been painful. And I get runners all the time that ask me, oh, I have this clicking in my joint. Is that a problem? Do I need to have surgery? Because I looked this stuff up and it said that you probably have this and you have to have surgery. Well, that's the problem is that the stuff you find when you look it up, if you just search for one thing, you're, you know, dramatic stuff sells. I mean, look at the news, right? you know, the the most dramatic, scariest things are what people click on. And when you look for clicking in a joint, you always find stuff that means some horrible problem that probably needs some horrible solution like surgery, and it's not always true. So if you have clicking and somebody does not have pain in the joint, first of all, that does not necessarily mean that they have a labral issue, but if they have pain when they have that clicking, then it's more suggestive, I suppose, of something like a labral tear. Is that right? Yes, correct. Okay. Okay, so, so if you could, it, do you think that there's a way when runners first start having problems that they feel something that's similar? Like aside from those things where they have this, uh, you know, sitting in the car and those positional things when they're getting up out of a car like that after they've been driving a long time, is it something they notice when they run on certain surfaces or is it really more related to those things we just talked about?
1: In the, it depends upon the irritability. Mm -hmm. So you could have, and this is like with any running injury, right? You have low tissue irritability versus high tissue irritability. You could have a labral tear that now everything is irritable. So there's probably some swelling in the joint. So definitely running and loading the hip will actually be painful, but classically, unless it is more of the cartilage issue, like I had, you know, that will usually definitely cause pain with loading. So when we run, we're weight bearing on one leg, but the, most common labral tear it is usually more associated with those hip flexion type of movements or maybe a cyclist right who has Mm -hmm. their hip in a in that flex position as opposed to when we are running you know our hip doesn't flex a whole lot unless you were a sprinter and you were getting down into the blocks
0: okay so somebody's doing cycling for cross training and they uh let's say they uh raise their saddle would, that mm-hmm. would generally help a little bit to alleviate some of that discomfort if you had a labral tear. And it sounds Absolutely. like if if somebody starts out and they have kind of early onset labral issues, maybe it bugs them when they're driving their Honda Civic to a long run, but it doesn't necessarily hurt when they run. But after time, maybe it goes from like being more aggravated when you're driving to then actually kind of being more irritable uh, after you run as well, would you say? Does that sound about right? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so then if um, if somebody... Thinks they have a labral issue like this, and they hear you know all the stuff from you, and they learn about labral tears, and they learn some things they can do with stretching and strengthening and stuff to try to help you know calm it down and and stop you know irritating it. Um, but what when is it that they get to that point that they really get this kind of number one indication that somebody with an issue with the labrum, potentially a labral tear or, or tear or whatever? that they really should see a doctor or somebody get it assessed before continuing to run where they could really be doing some significant damage to it.
1: Yeah, it's really that you've tried conservative treatment first. So you've seen a good physical therapist who really worked on the mobility in your hip, you've been diligent with your homework, you're, you know, working on whatever kind of the root cause of that labral tear. You know, we are talking a lot about mobility, but also if there's instability in the hip and you have a hip that's very loose, so such as like a dancer or gymnast may have, then that can also kind of be a risk factor for tearing a labrum as well. But kind of working on the root cause of what caused the labral tear. And let's say that's not working with strengthening, with mobility work, with getting some good mobilizations and activity modification, and you're still having that painful clicking, then that's really when you want to, you know, seek out an orthopedic surgeon and, you know, get their thoughts. Um, But you definitely want to try the conservative care first because most of the studies nowadays, so these Labral tears in the hip are definitely, you know, there were a couple of decades um, beyond the meniscal tears in the knee that everyone was common, uh, that, that became popular. And we started finding and started doing a lot of knee arthroscopies. The hips came a lot later because the technology wasn't really invented until really the early 2000s. So a lot of people weren't diagnosing labral tears in the hip and there weren't a lot of surgeons doing the surgeries. And then once technology was invented, there became this like shift for this almost like this 10 year period where, you know, there is an astronomical amount of labral tear surgeries. Mm -hmm. And then once we started looking at the research and the data, we are knowing that most folks do respond very well to conservative care, and they might not need surgery. So kind of going and speaking to your point about imaging and finding MRI, and I think there are a couple, I don't know the stats, um, of studies that have done some large scale studies that many of us right now are walking
0: around with labral tears and we don't know it. Um, and and it may not be a problem. And so that, you know, sounds like what you basically just said, like what I took away from that is there really three reasons that you should try conservative therapy first. If you think you have a labral issue in your hip, that's causing anterior hip pain. Reason number one is that it may get better. And I know that sounds oversimplified, but the fact is, is it just with conservative therapy? In many cases, when you see a doctor, whether it's a surgical or non-surgical orthopedist, they are probably going to recommend conservative therapy to you anyway. And so if you can do some of those things now, number one, you can start improving immediately. And it's simple, it's cheap, it's easy, you can do it right away. And then if it doesn't really help that much and you go see that doctor, then when you see the doctor, you have this information that you can supply to them immediately and skip the first step. You can say, well, I tried that. These are the exercises I did. These are the stretches I did. It made no difference or it helped or whatever. But the second reason is that it gives you some useful information to supply to your doctor. And then the third one is that you might actually avoid surgery. And although I think every doctor is in the business of selling you on the procedure that they believe is gonna help you the most, it's their job to do that. And if you're on that sort of cusp between somebody who might improve with conservative therapy or might improve with surgery, you may wind up making the decision unnecessarily that you should proceed with surgery when you could have had a chance of actually really improving with some aggressive conservative therapy. And so, you know, I think it's safest to try to do those things first. I mean, obviously, if you have a broken ankle, you have to have surgery to put it back together. But that's not what we're talking about here. It's not that cut and dry with surgery in the hip is what you're what it sounds like. And so I, I think those three things are pretty good reasons to really try the stuff that that, you know, people like you obviously are experts in. Uh, I know one of the things that happened when you had your labral tear is that your orthopedic surgeon told you you shouldn't be running on a treadmill. Uh, so why is that? Why are treadmills bad for labral tears? Is it because of the angle? Is it because of the sur- the surface? What, what is it exactly? Now listen, this is just the first half of the session from Dwayne Scotty's talk at the Runner's Rapid Recovery Summit. So the whole thing was about an hour, but because it was so long, we split it in two parts. And so we got half of it here and half of it is over on the Healthy Runner podcast site. So you can go over there, check out Dwayne Scotty of Spark Physical Therapy. Uh, he is the expert on hips and he's gonna talk more about hip issues and runners over there so head on over there we got the link in the show notes if you need to get it go to doc podcast and go to this episode and then you can get the link and it's in the comments below as well so we'll have it on the site we'll have it in the comments you'll be able to get it and just head on over and check out the other half of the talk doc on the run we help injured runners run